Welcome to the most unprofessional, unqualified and unwanted podcast on the internet. Let's take an hour off. Episode one, it will not only not be anywhere near perfect, in fact it will be pretty dreadful. If you somehow make it to the end, then kudos to you. I doubt you will and I'll be honest, I don't expect you to because it's in the in the in the tagline but it is unprofessional unqualified unwanted it is it is the ideal scenario in which i get to speak to zero people maybe one in a year's time and even if that one person i speak to the last five minutes then more power to them but this podcast is an opportunity for me to kind of unload on issues in the world um, from geopolitics to domestic politics to uh, religion uh, to issues, philosophical conversations, um, basically anything humanitarian um, to educate, maybe entertain, depending on if anything comes to mind, um, and just kind of to give my thoughts and facts on on um, on what's going on in the world at the moment, basically. Um, you might hear the occasional chair squeak or the occasional huff from my uh, humidifier in the corner, but um, we'll power through that the best, the, to the best of our ability. Um, my name is Ed Andrew. I am five thousand percent the person that shouldn't be doing a podcast, but we move. And if you get to the end of it, then kudos to you, and hopefully you can tune in for episode number two. Um, the title is an hour off, but let's be honest, this is our pilot episode. Um, I doubt it'll even reach 30 minutes. It might be a 20, 25 minute episode. It depends on how how much I can elongate um, said podcast. Now, the majority of these episodes will be just me by myself. Um, however, there will be an occasional co-host with me um, in which I will preface in the title whether I am doing an episode on my own or with a co-host. Um, and a lot of the time the next episode of the co-host might be a part two on what I've spoken about today as a play-by-play and then I'll get the opinions of an individual co-host or maybe multiple co-hosts on on whatever I spoke about before or their opinions on something so it's kind of broad it's not really anything too specific like I said it's very humanitarian I'll have probably the news on in the background um and yeah we'll just see we'll just see how we do um so yeah let's get right into it i mean today's episode is discussing and kind of touching upon um what's big in the world right now i mean this this recording is taking place um started recording at 7 56 p.m on monday the 21st of february um 2022 so, um, as the title and the description preface the fact that we're speaking about um, the current tensions in the East, and the reason I wanted to kind of timestamp the date was because, you know, after I record this podcast or when it actually comes on the air, or whether you're listening to it two days later, one day later, hours later, 10 years later, um, things may have changed drastically. So, regarding said tensions, Um, There could have been de-escalation, escalation escalation by the time you hear this. Uh, So just be mindful, obviously, that this is being recorded at a specific time. Um, 
where the facts and figures stand and where they could have changed. So that was kind of what inspired me to start this because there's a lot there's a lot going on right now and I kind of wanted to speak to the layman um, in layman terms regarding just what the hell is going on in this in, in this world right now. You know, um, past couple of years, we've been gripping with a, a pandemic which, um, which, you know, has taken countless lives. Another noise you might hear as well is tapping of keyboard as I bring up facts and figures of certain of certain aspects of what I discuss. Um, the world has been going through this dreadful pandemic for the past couple of years, um, according to Google, um, according to um, JHUCSSE COVID-19 data. Um, there have been approximately 18.7 million cases and 161,000 um, deaths directly from COVID, depending on the sovereign nation's way of clarifying what a COVID death, uh, death accounts for. And the reason I bring this up is simply because of the fact that at this moment in time, while we are dealing with a pandemic, um, we're dealing with a lot of other issues as well. Um, a lot of issues which are brought up by choice, um, not brought by a um, you know a situation which was, as far as we're aware, accidentally started in the pandemic, in uh, coronavirus. This is a situation which has gripped the world, gripped Europe, and gripped world leaders. It is an issue of historic telling, of geopolitical power struggle. It is the it is a situation which is continuing to escalate despite one party unilaterally stating that it is currently de-escalating. Um, it's scary and it's definitely a moment in history um, no matter what happens, what the outcome is. So the tensions in the East at the moment as prefaced in the title is, um, is referring to the current aggression shown by the Russian Federation and the Russian government more specifically in in Vladimir Putin um, he and the Russian government since about I want to say October of last year 2021 have been amassing troops on the border the eastern border between uh, Ukraine as a sovereign state and Russia um, on the side of Russia. As of right now, I believe there's about 190,000 Russian troops amassed on the border, and the whole world has essentially been gripped by this, by this escalating situation. Um, and I'm not here to say now whether I believe that war could break out or not, because as far as I'm aware, that's not my job to really. It's not really, like, you know, as I, pref as I said, I'm unqualified in any of this. But I'm not going to give my opinion on whether I think war will break out or not. Um, but what I can give is a little bit of backstory, nutshell it, and just try and see if I can um, educate to the best of my ability on all of this. So at this moment in time, um, Vladimir Putin, the president of uh, the Russian Federation, has stated that he he will not be invading Ukraine, which is kind of the big worry at the moment, is the fact that they believe he is going to invade, the invasion is impending, 
um, directly to the capital of Kiev, a city which I've been to, and a city which um, is rich in history, but also a city that has um, been gripped between two ginormous powers in the so-called West, which is not a geographical term, rather a geopolitical term, referring to the the nations which share very, very similar values, um, nations which are demographic by nature, um, ones that have shared economic and um, ethical values, um, being most of Western Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand, etc., um, and these growing tensions have been um, extrapolated by Russia amassing troops on the border between their respective country and Ukraine, which was a former Soviet state. So it, it's a scary situation. And at the moment, we don't really know what's going to happen. But what I can say is that the history behind this is is fascinating. Um, you were, you know, we're going to send us back now toward the forties, toward World War Two, and obviously, you know, I just want to clear up that there's a lot of history behind this that I won't be able to touch upon due to a, a lack of knowledge behind anything pre mid twentieth century, um, but also just because we'd be here, it wouldn't be an hour off; it'd be a day off. Um, if we were here talking about the entire history of Russia, um, the revolution, etc. Um, so it's important for us to have a starting point of around the mid-40s. Um, in the end of World War Two. Now, obviously World War Two ended around August 1945 after the devastating atomic bomb drop-ins on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, by the by, the states on Japan, ending the war um, on the second of September, nineteen forty-five. Now, as the war ended and the Allies came on top, um, the famous three individuals that were leading said Ally countries: Winston Churchill for Great Britain and the United Kingdom, uh, FDR for the United States, and of course Joseph Stalin for the Soviet Union, the USSR, and um, by far the largest nation in the world at that time. And they needed to decide primarily how to split up Germany, but then it was, what can we do going forward in regards to making sure that what happened in World War Two, both the Asian and European theatres, never happens again. So peace has to prosper, essentially. Now, the main problem is, and this is where it becomes fascinating, was that around this end of the 1940s, the Cold War had begun. Now, a Cold War is defined as a war in which there's no direct conflict between um, two respective parties, two respective nations, two respective sovereign states. It's made up of propaganda, of fear, of threats, and, you know, proxy wars at the uh, tail end of the spectrum of a Cold War. Now, the Cold War mainly began because of the key word which I'll use in this segment, um, that key word being ideology. So there were two opposing ideologies between the East and the West. And the fact that we're now about 12 minutes into this podcast and you're still listening in, kudos to you, top work because 
it is going to get interesting. I may not make it sound like it's interesting, but just hold on tight because the Cold War is a fascinating story of ideologies, of the attempt of influence between two powerful nations, the United States and collectively the West, and the Soviet Union, collectively the state of communism. Communism being the idea of um, one state for all, one system for all, government-controlled economy, people, jobs, etc. Whereas the other flip side of that in the United States, the West, but headed by the United States, was capitalism. Um, The ideology of free market, private ownership, um, the separation between ownership and states. And that was being pushed heavily on the world as the way to go about living life post-war, essentially. Um, and and I suppose the two eyes are the main are the main attractors and factors into this story is the idea of influence and ideology. How can each respective sovereign state influence the world on their respective ideologies? Capitalism versus communism. So the West and the United States saw the growth of communism by the USSR as a massive threat, and vice versa, respectfully. The Soviet Union saw the spread and rise of capitalism as a flawed system um, and they wanted to avoid it um, by by trying to spread their influence on, on Marxism, essentially. Um, but that's a whole different topic for a whole different day. So roll on to 1945. Now, the tensions between the Soviet Union and the, the, so the communists of the Soviet Union and the capitalists of the United States and the West continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And this became a bit of a problem because the West viewed the Eastern Bloc of the Soviet Union, now mainly known as Russia, as a threat. And that combined with the idea that they never wanted to see anything like the Great War of World War One and World War Two happen ever again. They, the West, created something called NATO, which you may have heard of um, a litany of times over the past few months um, or in your life. NATO stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. As I just look up NATO to give you a little bit more statistical information now, just so I'm bang on accurate. Now, NATO is it's essentially an intergovernmental military alliance. It is held between 27 European countries, two North American countries and one Eurasian country. Um, it implements the North Atlantic Treaty and specifically... According to uh, Wikipedia, our favourite free encyclopedia, it was signed on the 4th of April 1949. NATO, there's a lot to it, but the most nutshell version of NATO is that it is one military alliance. Article 5 states that if an outside party were to attack, invade, um create military conflict on one of the members it is an attack it's seen as an attack on all so whether that's an attack on the united states whether it's an attack on portugal whether it's an attack on greece turkey poland germany denmark norway you name it it is a attack on all of them where they would all intervene this was mainly set up as a way to protect themselves against the Soviets as one large military alliance. 
Um, I believe that the, let me see here. Members agree that their aim is to reach or maintain the target defense spending of at least 2% of their GDP uh, growth, uh, gross domestic product by 2024. Um, so that just shows how much investment is put into the protection of NATO and the security of, of NATO as well. Now, the Soviets saw this as a huge threat and thus the Cold War begins. And what I might do is I might do a later episode on kind of the history behind the Cold War because, well, simply because... Um, it is quite is quite there's quite a lot to the cold war if that makes sense there's a lot that happens there there's the space race there's the arms race there's cuba um there's turkey there's vietnam war there's the korean war um and it's very very complex but a lot of it is down to that cold war aspect between the soviet union and the usa slash the west now the cold war ended in 1991 when the soviet union collapsed Again, I will preface this more later on in different ep- in a different episode at some point. But um, yeah, it ended in 1991 and it essentially split up into all these different nations. Um, Russia obviously headed the Soviet Union and then once it disbanded, it disbanded into several independent states afterwards, including Ukraine. And this is where it kind of all ties in. So Lithuania was the first one to secure independence in 1990, then 1991, the rest of the countries followed, um, specifically Georgia, Estonia, Latvia, Moldova, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Belarus, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia was made a state officially, and of course Ukraine. Now... If I move over from the Soviet Union to former KGB agent uh, Vladimir Putin, who is the current president of the Russian Federation. Now, this is also a story not just about conflict, but it's also a story about legacy. This is an individual who grew up with the ideology that the motherland was the most precious thing in the world. It was the spread of influence of the ideology of the USSR and figureheads that were beyond um, they, they were idolised by someone like Vladimir Putin you know Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin etc these individuals were seen as his heroes essentially for the ideology that is communism and the Soviet Union and Vladimir Putin was devastated by this in fact he went on to quote recently over the last 10 years, I believe, I believe it was 2013, he made this quote, that the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century, which is a big statement to make considering everything that took place in the 20th century. So he's always viewed the Soviet Union as as one nation, as a nation of the same people, similar language, similar culture, most of them writing in the acrylic alphabet. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but I believe most of them writing in the acrylic alphabet um, and just sharing a lot between them. So Vladimir Putin was devastated when the Soviet Union disbanded into all of these states. 
And Vladimir Putin has seen NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, as a threat to Russian security. It's important to emphasize that NATO is a military alliance based on a keyword, that keyword being defense. It's not an alliance relying on aggression. Its mindset isn't to push against Russia, the Soviets at the time, or even any other nation at that. It is simply a case of it is there as a defense mechanism. Now, it's important as well to look at the story from the Soviet side. So, originally, NATO had X amount of members. So, the original amount of members was 12 countries. And they consisted of Canada, the United States, and a litany of Western European countries. Now... The Soviets saw this as a threat, but because it was kept to the west of Europe, they didn't they didn't feel the need to make a conscious effort to fight back against it. And I don't mean fight back physically and conflictly, but fight back as in try and push it and keep it that, that way. In in the twentieth century, late twentieth century, during the Cold War, there was a verbal agreement essentially between the leaders of um, NATO and the West, uh, specifically the United States and the Soviet Union. I believe between um, yeah between the the head of states of said countries, there was a verbal agreement that NATO wouldn't expand any further east. Now the West and the United States claim that because nothing was ever signed, then it doesn't constitute anything. Whether it's actually believed, I don't believe it's on record that they verbally agreed. However, Russia has maintained that it was verbally agreed, um, thus being as good as gold, essentially, that they should be sticking to their word and not spreading further east. This is where the, the situation lies at the moment, is that we now stand between 1949 with 12 countries originally in NATO and 30 countries right now. The most east NATO has reached is actually a Eurasian country in Turkey. So that's pretty far east. And there's also been a lot, and this is also key as well, I emphasize this, there have been quite a few former Soviet states which have now joined NATO. So they've pretty much gone from east to west in that regard, taken on the ideology of capitalism, realised that's working. Um, this, this includes certain countries um, far east, quite close to Russia's front door, Latvia, Lithuania, um, Estonia, all those kind of um, Baltic area countries. And here's where it lies, because Ukraine has been vying for... NATO membership for a while. I believe there are two NATO observer states um, in Ukraine and Georgia. I believe Georgia actually tried to join within the 21st century, um, but the uh, in order to join NATO, all members must unanimously vote um, for a sovereign state to join. And I believe it was Germany and France were not basically declined Georgia's involvement so ukraine has kind of been flirting with the idea of joining nato 
Um, and that hasn't sat well with Putin because not only is that right at the front door geographically, but it's also a country. It's also, sorry, a country which was and still is in many ways tied with Russia, um, culture, language, etc. So this has obviously threatened Putin's legacy. And it's also he, he, he thinks NATO is a massive threat to the sovereign state of of russia of the russian federation so this is where the problem lies and this is what's kind of led us full circle now toward the situation that is happening in europe in in far east europe these troops are massing on the border and it's a scary situation because a lot of people believe that putin's frustration with the spread of nato and continuing moving east has led to this point now where he is ready to almost feel like he's going to take back something in honour of the people, of the figureheads that he looked up to, of the idols that he looked up to, such as Lenin, such as Stalin, such as, you know, all these people that have come before him that revolutionised Russia and the Soviet Union. And it's something that a lot of people believe has been planning for a long time. I mean, let's not forget 2014 in the annexation of Crimea, um, on the southern part of Ukraine, Crimea is a region in which there's a lot of people there that that vie and long for the days of the Soviet Union, uh, civilians. And that gave Vladimir Putin and the Russia, and the Russian, uh, well, the Kremlin, they almost go ahead to annex it. And they did successfully in 2014. And because Ukraine is not part of NATO, um, there's nothing, there's no treaty um, that states that any country has to come to its defence. And that stays true right now. And that actually rings true as US President Joe Biden, as UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, um, as other world leaders, part of NATO has stated they will not be their sovereign military will not be getting involved with the fight between Ukraine and Russia if it does happen. Joe Biden went on to say on record that that would be a world war, which is true, it would be a world war. And that's where it gets scary. And that's where it's quite difficult because Ukraine is obviously not part of NATO. So it makes it a lot, hell of a lot easier for Russia to amass their troops, invade take Kiev, the capital, which is relatively close to the border of both Belarus and Russia, and who knows what would happen then, because nobody has to come to Ukraine's aid. At the same time, should Ukraine join NATO, or had they joined NATO, who knows what could have happened, because Russia could see that as a major threat. Vladimir Putin has gone on to record to say that Russia doesn't stand a chance against NATO. I believe it's either gone on to record or intelligence has picked that up. Um, but either way, I I doubt he would want to mess, again, unqualified, but I doubt he would want to mess with Ukraine if they were part of NATO. And then it would have to be a world war if that were the case, because according to Article 5, one attack, an attack on one nation is an attack on all. So hypothetically, Ukraine's part of NATO. Russia invades NATO. Uh, Ukraine, well, yeah, I mean, they're essentially invading NATO. And uh, that's a recipe for disaster. And that's kind of what's, what's led to here. And what I will say is that I commend the um, actions taken by NATO and Western leaders, such as Emmanuel Macron, um, 
Olaf Scholz, the new Chancellor to Germany, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, um, the US President Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, the uh, Vice President of the United States have made efforts to de-escalate the situation because in regard to global economy, in regard to geopolitics, in regard to lives for that matter, it would be devastating. It would be devastating if something like this were to happen. And then let's not forget um, the big N. And if you're still with me almost half an hour into this, then wow, I I admire you. I admire you. I commend you. Um, the big the big N word being um, nuclear. Um, we've got allied Belarus and Russia as of this week. I believe yesterday, Sunday the 20th of Feb 2022, taking part in joint nuclear military exercises, which is terrifying, to say the least. It's scary at the end of the day. It's scary. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, while I did say whether or not, uh, while I did say I wouldn't, hypothesize if invasion will happen or not i will say that i doubt and touch wood i doubt anything to do with that magical n-word nuclear would transpire here um that's just my thoughts and that's my hopes as well in a way so it's led to this it's led to this moment in time where we're gripping with a pandemic our current head of state in the uk has covid and the head of state in russia is threatening a conflict in Eastern Europe, despite Russia's claims of de-escalation, withdrawing troops, but the evidence and the intelligence doesn't say so. So I'm keeping my eye on the situation because it fascinates me and it's a situation um, where it has been building and building and building over the past decades. It's been building up over decades and um, now, now it's reaching its boiling point and it is the scariest moment, I would say, in European geopolitics stability, geopolitical stability since the Cold War. And a lot of people believe that as well. That's kind of been the overview. Obviously, there's a lot more to discuss on it. I will listen back to this episode um, and I will see if a part two is necessary because there's other factors to take into account as well. You know, China other sovereign nations in that regard it's such a minefield and the fact that we're about 31 minutes deep in and i'm very conscious of the fact that i've given a extremely nutshell version of what's going on right now in eastern europe and that's all i'm i'm happy to give because i wouldn't be able to delve more into it um within a short space of time because there is so much to it but it is important to try and see it from both sides. I would never justify these aggressive, um, these aggressive tactics from the Russians. Um, but at the same time, it's important to realise to to almost see it from all points of views before you make that judgment. Now, I've obviously seen it from all points of views, and my judgment remains pretty similar to what I saw at the beginning. Um, this is something which should not be happening in the twenty first century. Um, in a, you know, I can't believe we're 32 minutes in and I've not would the, use the word diplomacy yet. Diplomacy should prevail over any kind of conflict and any kind of, yeah, battle or war breaking out, essentially. But I guess we'll see in the coming days what's going to happen again by the time you listen to this. I Anything could have happened within the next few hours, within the next few weeks, etc. Um, we can only hypothesise and we can only hope 
for the best and hope for de-escalation, not only for the sake of Europe, but also for the sake of the world, because the casualties here could be catastrophic. Uh, this has been episode one. Tensions in the East, that flew by for myself personally. Thank you very much for listening. And, well, this might be the only episode ever, but hopefully not. Um, I'll try and get in a co-host at some point. Um, I've got one or two in the pipeline. Um, if I am able to secure one, then in a future episode, I'd like to discuss this situation with somebody else um, to almost colour commentate on it in a way. And, yeah, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. This has been an hour off the most unprofessional, unqualified and unwanted podcast on the internet. I have been speaking to a brick wall for the past just over half an hour, uh, but it may not be a brick wall if you tuned in and if you enjoyed it. And if you didn't enjoy it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.